Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, good morning, LifePoint. It is great to see you this morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning. And I pray that uh, this morning will be a blessing and encouragement to your life as we sing the praises of Jesus and as we look to His Word for instruction, teaching, and life this morning. So it is great to see you all. You look good. Right on. So we're continuing our series. Uh, Pastor Lane began a series last week at the, the, for the beginning of this year where we are looking at the essence of the church. And this morning, we're going to be talking about that middle section there, the, the witness of the church. And in a, a world of, of challenges that we face each and every day that just seem to compound upon one another, uh, even many challenges from inside the church itself, we're spending these first few weeks of the year of 2022 just considering the essence of the Christian faith. Now, Pastor Lane will we'll talk more about that word and kind of unpack essence, what that means, and, and what we're after um, in, in later sermons. And, and today, I want to focus on Christian witness in the world. So there was an article this week, an interview in the Christian Post, a magazine publication, I'm not sure exactly what that is, um, it just comes through the feed. Uh, this week, there was a, an interview with a popular cultural figure. His name's not important. What he does isn't important. But uh, they did touch on the idea of religion. This is a person that would claim no faith in Christ. Um, and the, the, the gentleman in the uh, interview said that he was not a religiously inclined person, but that he agreed with the teachings of Jesus and that there was some good wisdom there. <laughs> Um, I think this is a well-intentioned idea, and, and I think that that's one that's probably shared by a lot of people. Jesus was a good guy, good teacher, had some smart, wise things to say, but Jesus was not just a wise teacher, and it is insufficient for a follower of Christ to understand our relationship with Jesus as merely an intellectual pursuit. We talk about this in NAV, what life like a, as a disciple means. And it's not just this uh, situation where we come to Christ and expect to just learn things from him. But there's also a following that's implied in being a disciple of Christ because we recognize that Jesus is more than a teacher. He was God who came and dwelt among us. The essence of our faith and the essence of our witness is determined by that which identifies us and defines us and characterizes how we live our daily lives. And these are some of the questions and ideas that we're, we're looking at in this series. And, and today, as we consider Christian witness, we're going to look at the two ordinances that we see in Scripture that define our witness on the earth as God's people. 
The essence of Christian witness is publicly displayed in these two ordinances that that declare the Christian's entrance into God's kingdom and our continual life with him through Jesus Christ. So my aim today is to instruct us. I I want our understanding about these two ordinances to grow so that our communion with Christ might deepen and our fellowship might be strengthened and encouraged um, together as the church. I want to show how the church's two ordinances are the essence of our witness by addressing two questions really this morning. What is it? So what is the ordinance that we're talking about and why do we practice it? So that's the first question. The second question is, how do they form our essence, the essence of Christian witness, of the church's testimony? So we're going to begin our time this morning looking at believer's baptism. We're going to spend some time morning, this morning considering what the Bible teaches about believer's baptism and the practice of remembering the Lord through the Lord's Supper, through communion. We're going to start this morning with baptism. Um, as I was thinking about the sermon this morning, uh, my own baptism experience came to mind. Do any of you guys remember when you were baptized? I kind of do. Um, I was about, I want to say 12, 13. I can't, I can't remember exactly when. It was about 7th, 8th grade. I had been brought to a point where I realized my sin against a holy God. I had heard the gospel my whole life, but I understand for the first time that I needed a Savior. And I remember surrendering my life to him. And, and having grown up in the church, I knew like, okay, well, now I get baptized. That's, that's the order here. <laughs> um, and I remember it was a very cold March, April, Sunday morning. I had just been, I was at that age where my parents were kind of letting me get a little bit more involved in church. Um, I had been singing in the choir uh, at this, my dad was a bivocational worship minister and, and we were, he was serving at First Baptist Church in Stratford. We were meeting in their old sanctuary back then and I remember um, being excited about the morning because I had a lot to do. I had to get up, get ready. I had to have two pairs of clothes because I was going to get baptized and then I was going to go sing with the choir and then, you know, the sermon after that. So I was ready. I was excited. The energy was going anyway because anytime you stand up in front of people to do something like that, there's just a little bit of nervousness or whatever. And uh, I remember getting to the edge of the, the, the baptistry, the, the place where we did the baptism in the church. And I step a couple of feet in the water. I'm like, okay, okay. And as soon as I get waist deep into the bathtub, just <gasps> the water was like 40 degrees. And I'm, I don't remember much after that. I, I remember breathing very shallow, like, <laughs> like that, and walking nervously to this obviously terrified pastor's like, is this kid going to make it, or what is going on here? And what kind of testimony is this going to be this morning? Um, I don't remember much about being baptized. I'm sure he got me in and out as quick as possible and shuffled me up the stairs. Um, but I do remember drying off and getting dressed and uh, I joined the Sopranos that morning and finished the service out. But uh, I am thankful for, 
for my experience in baptism and how God uses the, the practice of believer's baptism as a testimony, a powerful testimony to this world and to the church. So let's begin this morning by looking at believer's baptism. So what is baptism and, and why do we practice it? So Baptism is not unique to the Christian faith. Other groups have used it as an initiation rite. In fact, um, we see in the book of Matthew specifically, people were coming out to John. People who were following God before Jesus had got there were coming out to be baptized by John. So even people who were following God were being baptized before Jesus. Uh, but the distinguishing trait of baptism is its meaning or how it defines the person being baptized. And in Scripture, we see the word baptism. We see three different uses of the word baptism. So in Romans chapter 6, uh, it's used in reference with that spiritual union that we have with Christ and his death. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a little bit. But we also see um, a physical act um, when, when the word baptism is, is used, it means to be immersed or go down into or to, to dip uh, someone into the waters of baptism. And we also, uh, in Matthew 3, we, we learn about this, this baptism of the Spirit that works to empower and bring new life in a believer. And so today, as we consider believer's baptism and, and what it means to enter into the waters of baptism and what it represents, we understand that this is an outwardly representation, an outward testimony to the world of what Christ has done in us. Christian baptism is identification with the triune God, with God the Father, with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit, and it's through faith in Christ that we enter into the waters of baptism. It's, it's not an act of salvation in and of itself. There is no power for salvation in the waters of baptism. It is merely a result of or in obedience to what God has done in our lives. And this, this is essential for us to understand as we think about the essence of the Christian witness to the world. It is a representation of what God is doing. But this doesn't make it in any way unimportant for our lives. Baptism is the solemn profession of a redeemed sinner. It's a sacred and serious act and incorporates us into the visible body of believers and proclaims that our lives are now identified with the risen Savior, Jesus. Believers' baptism accords with the gospel because it teaches that the objective work of salvation, of God in salvation, leads us to a response in faith. Believers' baptism displays this, this outward sign of obedience, of this inward change that God is working in us. It is a publicly professing faith of what God has done within our lives through the power of the gospel of Jesus. And so as we think about what believers' baptism is, 
we're going to look at God's Word. We'll spend a lot of our time this morning kind of bouncing around, but our primary text this morning will be found in Matthew's, uh, Matthew 3, Matthew 26, Matthew 28. We're, we're going to draw a lot from Matthew this morning, as well as we're going to look at some passages in Romans 6. But our first passage this morning is Matthew 3. This is when Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And hear this in verse 14. John would have prevented Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, John. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Our second scripture this morning is Matthew 28, 18 through 19. This is the Great Commission. This is after Jesus' ministry on earth, after he has died on the cross and been resurrected from the grave. He says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at four biblical pillars this morning of believers' baptism. And these verses here, we see our first pillar. Jesus practiced and commanded believers' baptism. Jesus ordained it when he submitted himself in the waters of baptism. When Jesus comes to John the Baptist at the Jordan River, again, look at our text. John does not want to baptize him. He understands who Jesus is and his need for Jesus. But Jesus tells him to do this. Jesus affirmed John's ministry. And in this moment, God confirmed the identity of his son. This is a powerful moment of testimony for God's people. And here we see in the baptism of Jesus the completion of John's ministry. The way had been prepared. Jesus was here. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. And all that John's life pointed to was fulfilled in Jesus. So not only did Jesus practice it, but he commanded it. If you look at our text in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when he gives this to his disciples, he sends them into the world to make disciples. And what does he say? He commands them to first be baptized. Baptism is a command of Jesus for those who are his disciples. Which leads us to the second pillar. The scriptures teach and model believers' baptism. So after Jesus commissions his disciples to go and make disciples, we see them taking that message and being faithful to God's command and his example. In Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2, culminates with the 
the admonishment to, to repent and be baptized. And through, throughout the book of Acts, we see that people respond in faith to the gospel. They hear the good news of Jesus. They believe in who Jesus is. And then they're baptized by the, the apostles and church leaders. So, one of the greatest examples we see of this in Scripture is the account of Philip and the, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And this is where we see one of those uses of the word baptism. We, we understand this to be um, the physical act of being immersed in the waters of baptism. The Greek word here literally means that. It means to immerse, to dip. And the Bible says, as with Jesus, when he went to be baptized with John, that he went down into the water. We see that same verbiage used here with the Ethiopian eunuch. He went down in the water together with Philip. So we see that Scripture models what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. This was also... Again, if you look to the books, book of Acts, this was the historical practice of the early church. That's pillar number three. We see baptism was practiced by the early church leaders. They understood this, that they were supposed to be doing this from, from Jesus' example, from his teaching, and from his command in their, uh, in their lives. And typically we see in, in uh, church history, that immersion was the standard practice uh, until much later. There, were some other, there are some other traditions of baptism that began to develop um, after the first century. Um, and they, are, they have been established by church traditions. But in Scripture, <clears throat> we see the, the act of immersion in believers' baptism. Once someone has surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Christ, they follow Him in obedience through the waters of baptism. So we see it as an uh, uh, early practice of the church. And this brings us to the fourth pillar, which answers the question, why? Why do we practice baptism, believer's baptism? Uh, Christopher Wright, commentator, theologian, states, we've made far too little of baptism not in how we practice or celebrate it, not in what we teach its meaning to be, but rather in what we understand to take place through the waters of baptism. So pillar four, the purpose of baptism, the why, is that it is the first act of communion, a first act of obedience and fellowship and witness. Romans 6 3 through 5 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Water baptism, believer's baptism, represents a deeper spiritual truth and meaning. 
Our verses in Romans state that it is by faith we are baptized into the Lord's death and raised with him in his resurrection. Now, this isn't referring to the physical act. This, this is the word that, we, that I mentioned earlier that talks about the meaning, what, what water baptism is and why it's important. Um, water baptism symbolizes our death. It symbolizes our burial and our resurrection by faith in Jesus, in his life, in his death for our sin, in his burial and resurrection. We are identifying with Christ and we are testifying to that. Believer's baptism is a first act of communion with the triune God. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We enter into communion with Him. We are identified with Him, with the eternal God who is one. Baptism reminds us that just as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one, so too are we united with Him. Baptism is a first act of obedience to Jesus. We see this from his command in the Great Commission. Becoming a disciple begins when we place our faith in Jesus to follow him. And obedience is just the heart that responds by following Jesus each day and every moment with our lives in relationship with Jesus. Christians humble themselves in baptism to obey Jesus' command and join him in mission. It is a testimony that we are following and being obedient to Christ. Baptism is a First act of public testimony. It's not just a personal experience. Um, we serve Christ when we enter the waters of baptism publicly and confess him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But... Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we understand and we teach in Navigation, our, our membership class, that, that salvation is something. It is a personal thing that happens to us. God saves people. He loves his people. But we also understand that Christianity is a public faith. It is meant and offered to all to hear the good news and receive Christ by faith. It is a public faith. Christian baptism publicly identifies our lives with Christ before men and his church. And he acknowledges this before the Father. The essence of our Christian witness is, is made public through baptism. So baptism is, is kind of how we we go public with our faith. It's that first step of obedience saying, yes, my life is identified with Christ. My hope is in Christ. So what's important for, now, uh, for, for us now, today, 
as the church, as each person, as they hear the word of God and respond in faith, the question to ask is, have you been baptized as a believer? Have you gone through the waters of baptism to testify publicly that Christ is my Savior, that God has risen him from the dead, and my hope for life is now in him? This is the first of the the two ordinances that we're going to talk about. Next, we'll ask the same question of the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper, and why do we practice it? All right, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this kind of recording of the Lord's Supper is is found in all three of the synoptic gospels of of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, And the gospel writers understood this as a moment of instruction and a moment of learning what the gospel is. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the Christian's continual communion with Christ and fellowship with other believers for assurance and hope. So his baptism kind of is that first public declaration, that first initiation. The Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of the work that God is doing in our lives and the relationship that we have with him. And we're going to look at three biblical truths that establish the Lord's Supper, similar to what we did with baptism. The four pillars of baptism, there are three truths to the Lord's Supper, found in our text here in Matthew 26. First, Jesus took the time to teach his disciples about the meaning of his death. This was the night before he had been betrayed. Jesus took bread and broke it. He took the cup and blessed it. He focused the discussion and the attention of the disciples around what was about to happen to him. The bread was a representation of his body, which would be broken for the sins of man. And the cup, his blood, which would be spilled out for the remission of sin. And I got to believe that this must have been an awkward moment for the disciples. Maybe not in that moment. They probably were just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But they don't fully understand what, about, what is about to happen in the life of Jesus, in his death, in his resurrection. They, they can't comprehend all that was taking place. But we do know one thing for sure. Every time after this one, they remembered It was a different experience for them. 
The supper is, is not just a remembrance, but it's also a declaration. Jesus says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When Christians partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus' atoning death that brings forgiveness of sin, and we proclaim to each other and the world that salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. Second, Jesus taught that his blood was shed in covenant to cover sins. This had been the promise of God since the fall of man in Genesis 3. God was making a new covenant through grace with his people through Jesus Christ. And it would be full, complete. The work of salvation was accomplished once and for all. And deep communion for his followers would be experienced with him because of Jesus Forgiveness of sin brings us into that relationship with God. Jesus made a way that was impossible for us. And it's through Jesus that we are brought into communion with God. And he chose a meal, sharing a meal with his disciples to remind us of that communion, of that fellowship that we experience with him in salvation. And every time that we partake of the bread Every time that we drink of the cup, we proclaim his death. And we proclaim our own death in him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus shared the meal of communion with us that we might remember how by faith our death is in his death for us. Third, when we remember Christ's sacrifice, we are assured and strengthened by his promise. Jesus' promise in our text here, Matthew 26, provides great encouragement and strength for the Christian to live in this world. His resurrection assures us he is coming again. He will drink with us in the new creation. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that our eternal hope is in him and his return. Jesus promises to bring peace and security in the midst of chaos and suffering in the world. Jesus provides spiritual nourishment for our hearts. He produces humility by the Holy Spirit's work of conviction in our lives. And he leads us in life. And he grants unity to us in fellowship among his body. These are great promises of God through his son Jesus and through what he accomplished. And we remember these things when we take the bread and drink of the cup. So, how do the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper form our Christian witness? 
primarily these two ordinances declare our identity in Christ. And they declare our continued dependence upon Him for all of life, all of faith. And they declare our desire to follow Him in obedience. Again, baptism is that initiation, that, that right of defining and declaring to the public, to the world, to the church, that I am identifying with Christ. And the Lord's Supper is that continual remembrance of our need for a Savior. We never outgrow our need for Jesus. The ordinances declare first a faithful Christian witness as they proclaim our union with God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we are accepted and welcomed into his family. He has made us a new creation, the Bible tells us. We are children of God. Second, the ordinances declare a faithful Christian witness as they testify to our continual reliance upon God. In Jesus, we enjoy continual fellowship with God, fully dependent upon Him, fully walking in obedience by faith. Third, these ordinances declare a gospel invitation to others to repent from sin and be saved by God through faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. When we celebrate uh, baptism Sundays, uh, watching the people come into the waters of baptism, declaring to the church and to the world, I have a Savior. Life has been given to me. It's a great gift and a great testimony that God is still at work in the lives of his people. And this is one of our witnesses to the world. That we are repenting of sin. We are repenting of disobedience to God's word. We are repenting from the rebellion that we have waged against God. We are repenting of our hostile minds toward God's and trusting him for life and for salvation. The ordinances of the church order the witness of our Christian faith. Bobby Jameson states that while baptism binds one to many, the Lord's Supper binds many to one. Baptism is the initiation, so to speak, of the new covenant. And the Lord's Supper is the continual reminder of God's new covenant through His Son, Jesus. And one way to kind of sum this idea up is that both baptism and the Lord's Supper create a reality in our lives to which they point. As we testify who God is through the waters of baptism and what he's done. As we remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf through the Lord's Supper. They are creating this reality in our lives of fellowship and union and witness for Jesus. The essence of our Christian witness is publicly displayed by these two ordinances that declare our entrance into God's kingdom and continual life with Him. 
these two ordinances, faithfully practiced among the church body, direct us to look to Jesus in every direction, in every way possible, as our Savior, as our Lord, and as, our, as your King, as our King. 